You are listening to WPOE, the worst place on earth. Cost me a lot, but there's one thing that I've got. My But all that I soon forget With my man. From the Miami Herald Two priests parked their car in South Beach What they were seen doing sent them to jail I'm Father Kevin of St. Mary of the Angels. I've been meditating on devotion, devotion to the Lord. I often imagine his face, if he is in fact a he, looking down on me, smiling with a look as if he's hiding a blissful secret and everything will be okay. A being without obligation or... Desire. Hmm. Well, it was a short vacation, Labor Day weekend. (laughs) My mother gave birth on Labor Day. She always used to make um, a joke about it. Going into labor on Labor Day. (laughs) Quite the comic. She would always hit her punchlines with a giant rubber mallet. Pow, pow, pow. (laughs) Figuratively, that is. (laughs) She claimed that uh, I was the only baby that didn't give her any pains. I find it hard to believe that any childbirth would be completely painless. But that's how she was, filled with exaggerations. Her whole life, an overinflated balloon. (laughs) She owned this infamous pair of hot pink leg warmers. Whenever the temperature dropped below 60, it was an excuse for her to wear them once again. She practically lived in them. By my mother's logic, I was always destined for the priesthood. Everyone's hopes staked in me. What I really became was the son no one knew what to do with. Why don't you just send him to military school? Is he always this quiet? What's with that haircut? I don't like his friends. Does he have any friends? Who is he dating anyway? Etc. Etc. More of the like. Living according to their standards became exhausting, especially with so many family members watching my every move, commenting from my mother's plastic-wrapped couch like they were Joan Rivers on the red carpet. <laughs> so I, uh, I took to the big book. Well, privately. I appreciated Luke the most, filled with uh, hope and a sense of acute pragmatism. Uh, realism that's difficult to find in the words of ancient men. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. That's poetry there, the sound of someone who has outgrown their pain, Uh, a wisdom only suffering can bring. I watched him baptize a baby during our studies, uh, Ricardo, or Richard, 
as they called him in the rectory, at his request. That's when it started, our friendship, I mean. He looked terrified during that first baptism, but the minute the infant was in his hands, he knew exactly how to cradle its head without drowning it. It was almost unbelievable. I remember holding my breath as the crown of the child's head met the water. He was steady, gentle. The child barely even cried. I can't say the same for the rest of us. I could barely keep myself from trembling, knowing he was watching me, even with his kind, approving gaze. I worried the whole time that I wasn't good enough. <laughs> he patted me on the back when I was done and smiled, saying, We all do our best, Kevin. It was funny. For once, someone could make me laugh. Someone else saw how absurd the world could be. The Miami trip. We were on assignment. It was a special mission to meet with the archdiocese and strategize how we were about to raise money for a group of orphans from the favelas. Favelas. Half of Richard's family was from Brazil, so it was a good thing for all of us to hear his insight on how the children grew up there. He was one of them, after all. He spent half of his early years there, running down the shaded hills, tiny sandals clacking on the cool steps made of stone. We went to this place on Ocean Drive. For some reason, everything was large, frozen, fruity. The drinks, I mean. At first we were embarrassed, so we kept making jokes about the scenario we had found ourselves in. I remember the movie Beaches with Bette Midler playing on a small TV set behind the register. I recognized it right away. Richard said his mother always watched the movie with him when he stayed home sick from school. She would um, soothe him by giving him cosquilitas, <laughs> light touches up and down his arm while she sang to him, Wind Beneath My Wings, in a voice that was ready for soft AM radio. <laughs> I felt at home with him. We had uh, so many stories that could have been interchangeably ours. Uh, we'd started drinking, just one, and then two, four. <laughs> People began to look at us. We still had our collars on. Eventually, we took them off. Too many people staring. We don't always have to wear them or keep them visible. Makes people uncomfortable, usually, and we don't want people to be uncomfortable. By we, I mean priests. Often, we have to remind people to just be themselves around us. It can be trying, having the congregation treat you so exceptionally, as if you are no longer one of them. Human, fallible, a sinner. People just stop being who they are around you, and it gets quite awkward. This really colorful man came up to us on Ocean Drive, not afraid to be himself at all. He reminded me of my mother and all her garish glory. It was as if she was greeting me again in a dream, but she was in another body, covered in face glitter and that, that stuff. The young girls use now probably something they saw on the Kardashians, this face-defining makeup. And she had this bra on, covered in sequins. I felt like he was taunting me. 
He grabbed my chest and asked if I wanted to borrow his bra. I looked offended, but I was really just stunned. Richard asked him to leave me alone, called him something in Spanish that sounded like a beautiful word, but based on his or her reaction, I think it was anything but. She sucked her teeth and exited with a hair toss. I asked Richard why he had felt he had to defend me. He said he didn't want anyone crossing a line with me I didn't want to cross. I thought about what he said over and over again, a line I didn't want to cross, as if there were other boundaries that could be tested. We took off the collars, uh, walked into the next bar. The temperature change outside was extreme. The humidity was so intense that it made everywhere we went feel like sitting in a sauna. I wasn't used to that. I come from a place where it actually gets cold in the winter, just outside of Chicago. Sometimes you even have to shovel your car out of a snowbed to get to work in the morning. What a concept for a Floridian. A quiet bed of white greeting you in the morning, like waking up in the afterlife, every breath frozen, suspended in air. Miami, it's vulgar, unapologetic, it's dangerous, as if anything could happen. I felt like we were meant to be each other's sponsor on the trip. It was difficult, to say the least. The alcohol got to me and the things I played out in my mind, well, I convinced myself they were just in my head, so it was okay. But sins of the mind have an easy way of finding their way into action, as they say. I thought it would pass, but the things I used to think were wrong were beginning to fill me with such joy. And it felt good to misbehave. I remember as a little boy receiving the wafer and the wine for the first time. They always make such a big deal out of it before your first communion. They want the children to take it seriously because in reality, they are making their first adult decision to commit their body and soul to Christ. They are receiving, through transubstantiation, the body and blood of Christ, literally. If you don't believe this, you're not a Catholic. It's one of the key cornerstones of the faith. That and believing Jesus died for your sins. <laughs> As if any of these children could ever fully conceive of this so early on. Most of the time, the children just want their parents to be happy with them. But sometimes they do. I suppose when they grow up and move on to the other sacraments as adults, confirmation, marriage, they don't know quite what they're doing then and there either. Part of our job as spiritual ministers is to prevent this kind of blindly moving through life. We all do our best, as Richard would say. I'm not sure if any of us move through life without the blind trust that it could all somehow end up right. When I had my first communion, <laughs> Wow. There was a boy in our CCD class, Travis. He was a problem. He was always causing problems, making us question our faith. But he was funny, charming in his own way. He kind of looked like a little Joe Dirt. His family was very working class, very much into camouflaged clothing. He was already the class clown, and we hadn't made it through elementary school. Uh, the priest gave him the wine for the first time. The minute the cup touched his lips, he spit up the red wine all over the priest's white and green robes and said, Taste like piss! Yeah. His voice echoed through the arches of the church. We all instantaneously fell to pieces. 
We were kids. To this day, I'd never felt so free in my life as we laughed and laughed on the altar. One of us was rolling around on the floor, clutching his stomach as if we had never heard something so funny. His eyes squinted closed, crying. We laughed like children do when they know they're not supposed to, and they finally release, gushing all over the place, releasing the impulses they've been told to control. Children who don't know any better, who couldn't always stand to be so deadly serious every moment. Children who longed to be free. I felt like a child when I was with him. Richard, he let me be free like a child. Irresponsible. You know, when you drink so much, you forget important parts of the story, like how you got where you were going and what happened after the decisions you made. It's all kind of jumbled, but there are things that come back to me. We were giggling through the streets at night, sideways. The palms swayed freely like we did back and forth across the alley. Uh, our shadows slanted by the streetlights, practically falling over. We wandered onto the beach. We'd been drinking, drinking a lot. He touched my hand. I rubbed it, my finger over his knuckles. He brushed the small of my back. It became so easy, getting closer and closer to each other, like, like taking a sacrament. Somehow he found his way into my mouth and I into his, as if holding the wafer up to my lips. I can't explain it any simpler. We were two magnets pulsing toward each other, bowing at the altar. It wasn't enough to be spiritually tied. It wasn't enough to make each other laugh over silly headlines or our mother's tall tales, people's eccentricities, our intimacies, and we were already quite intimate, didn't stop me from wondering how his hands would feel all over my body, what he tasted like, what kind of grace lied in our unexpected union, what thrilling joy, what peace. I remember running my fingers through his hair. I wanted to give him soft touches just as much as I needed release. It was pure. When we were arrested, he wouldn't look at me. He would barely look up at all. The light had shone on him and he was ashamed. I wasn't. He always looked so innocent. No matter what he did, innocent, even in handcuffs, as if they had the wrong guy. The first time he tried on the robes, he looked like he belonged in them, belonged to them, swaddled in the Lord's loving embrace. I never felt that way. He turned from me, stumbling off in handcuffs through the sand. They didn't even give him a chance to put his shoes back on. He wandered off barefoot into the squad car. The glow of the streetlights shone on the crown of his head. They had made the choice to separate us, as if in the back of the car we would continue to do more of the same. But if they could only imagine what it would be like to be us, then they would know the time had passed. We had our moment, and now the world would come crashing down.
It didn't have to, but it did. <laughs> Richard was moved to another ministry. I moved back home to take care of my mother. She needed me more than she let on, and her condition had significantly progressed. Yesterday, I was feeding her lunch. We were watching one of those music choice jazz stations. Always puts her in a good mood. She choked a little on her oatmeal. Her arm flung up and came down hard on the television controller, and it changed the channel. Of all the things in the world, beaches came on. I tried to not react too extremely because I would confuse her. Bet and the other woman, whose name I always forget, were they were in the photo booth together, smiling, making funny poses with each other. The camera flashed and held each image suspended in time. My mother's choking stopped, and I fed her the next bite. So many memories flooded back. I just kept the channel where it was. Everything about him felt right. He couldn't accept it, but that's okay. I understand. I spent my life running from the things I knew I wanted, even though we woke up separately from the same dream. Miami had changed me for the better. And for the first time in my life, and with conviction, I believe. Man, who doesn't have coronavirus? I... <laughs> <laughs> Let's all get it. Let's just all get it and get it over with. The thing is, by the time this episode comes out, everybody might be dead. You're right. There's that asteroid coming, too. I think only 2%, 2% of us will be dead. 2% of us. Which I heard. Oh, is that it, Matt? Thank you. Which uh, sounds like a little, but 2% of the billions of people there are in the world is a couple hundreds of thousands. I'm not the best at math, but that could be bad. Did you see the woman from CDC that was explaining to people now is the time to start practicing not touching your face and your eyes and stuff? And right as she finished the sentence, she rubbed her eyeball. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's impossible. People touch their faces. They want to make sure that their faces are still there. That's true. Yeah, you need, you need to check. I had a friend who was talking about the people who are sitting behind their phones that they sit on the toilet and tweet with, and they're all worried about people washing their hands or getting into an Asian person's Uber. And I think that's, you know, that's a multi-layered argument right there. <laughs> yeah, well. Um, I just wanted to I bring think, up all of those things at once. <laughs> I think we can all agree that racists exist. I think so. We weren't going to talk about politics when we went right into all of this. It's just Don't life, stop man. Stop politicizing coronavirus. Jessica led with <laughs> Jessica. It. You had just said not to talk about politics, and then she was <laughs> slammed right into the corona. I'm a fucking rebel, That's dude. the only way to get through a corona. You got to slam right into it. God, those things are fucking gross. <laughs> I haven't had a corona since a barbecue in undergrad. I know the recipe of corona. What is it? You force feed a, a, a stray dog um, Bud Light, and then you collect its <laughs> With urine. With lime. 
You collect its urine right into the Corona bottle, and then you seal it and you put it right on the shelf. Mm-hmm. And then you shake it and you spray it in your face. I mean, no, that that's just how you drink it, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. I was getting into the mechanics. <laughs> Woo, okay. The reason why I probably went straight into politics is because I'm avoiding talking about faith because I'm definitely not a person of faith. And yet I wrote the story. Maybe yeah. let's just talk about priests then. I mean, it's a love story. That's really what it is. So it was my birthday two years ago and me and my good friend were on the beach and we were drinking margaritas and my mom wanted to call me and check in, say happy birthday And she was like, watch out for the people on South Beach. There are these two crazy stories. I'm like, what, mom? I was like, well, the first one is about these two girls getting plowed over by like the men who uh, sand down the beaches or like move the sand around. That I didn't even know that that was a thing. I thought it was just some old man with a rake. No, now apparently they have vehicles like plows, like like farm style. Didn't like someone get their head cut off by that thing? I think it was, it was two girls who were sunbathing and he like had his headphones in or something and he didn't see them and he plowed over them in their legs. They oh were mauled, God. but they lived. Oh yeah, God. so that story, I was like, okay, mom, thanks. I'm not that drunk yet, but I'll, <laughs> I'll be okay. I'll keep my wits about me if I hear a large vehicle coming nearby while I'm sunbathing. Okay, and the second was the two priests who were caught blowing each other on Ocean Drive. Right. She really needed to tell me about that one. I think just to hear my response, like most moms do. Hey, you want to hear this crazy thing? Yeah. I just assume everybody on Ocean Drive is a priest getting a blowjob. Yeah, why not? Celebrate. This is what <laughs> South Beach brings out, the best in all of us. God, there's no parking. I had so many questions because they got caught in a van Without tinted windows, which is all the cop kept talking about. Yeah, I guess they had rented a van or something. Like a church van? No, it was like like a Honda Odyssey or something, like a mom van. I wish it was a church van. Sleek, sexy Honda Odyssey. (laughs) We know what happens at the end of the Odyssey, you know? So, Like in um, the back, you mean the end, like the back seat? The back back seat. (laughs) The third back seat. Of the Honda the Odyssey. Of Homer's like a, Odyssey. Yeah, like I a, thought you meant Homer's Odyssey. <laughs> that is what I meant, Matt. <laughs> what happens in the back seat of Homer's Odyssey? We'll and I don't know. mean I don't mean the the epic uh, lyrical poem. <laughs> I mean Okay, I learned to drive in a Honda Odyssey uh, at the falls in the parking lot while my stepdad just sat there and like watched me struggle. It's not easy backing up in a Huge ass vehicle, yeah. for lack of better terminology. Yeah. Anyway, I feel like this is yeah. all double entendres. Yeah, that's the thing. Okay, so in writing this, I didn't <laughs> want it to be what we're doing now, which is that right. these two men are the punchline. I know, but you know, whatever. We need some levity here after Caleb's like performance. Jesus, I will Christ. say that it that it's it really. I mean, the story. If we're just going to talk about this story, like yes, okay. So, but that's the point of this whole experiment, right? Yeah. All of these stories are funny when you don't have any context. Yeah. So like two priests blowing each other on Ocean Drive. Also, two people blowing each other at the same time is hard, first of all. I don't know how that works. <laughs> it's hard, yeah. But but especially <laughs> there's in a, another one. third back seat of the van, there's not a lot of room back there. But um, like, yes, so that headline is funny, but... The whole point is to like try to understand where it came from. And I I mean the story you wrote is really kind of a beautiful love story about 
and also kind of a universal one, even though it's very specific about, you know, a priest struggling with sexuality. But like, I was really touched by um, this idea of just like sexual repression, but also mm-hmm. there's a lot of like judgment from his family, from his mother. And I, I love that like his mother was flamboyant and like mm-hmm. like he inherited that, but he's tamped it all down or at least inher- at least loves it, like loved his mother for that, but never could express it himself. Yeah, he has like all this love to give and ends up kind of right. throwing it outwards. Yeah. But I think like trying to express sexuality or love through all of the mechanisms of repression that we all have is a universal story. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a moment uh, that I really love when he's he's just talking about like the contact on the beach when they get to the beach. And it really reminded me of that um, scene in Moonlight on the beach when the two young boys like f- have physical sexual contact and there's just like this shot mm-hmm. of his hand in the sand uh, that I thought was really beautiful in the film. But I, I think you captured it here too, that it's not even really about the sexual nature of what happened. It's about how desire is so tied up with freedom, like emotional freedom and just personal release you know, that like they're very tied together, yeah. those two things. And human beings, because of the social stru- structures we exist in, we all struggle with that. Yeah. At how to express the things we really want to feel. And then when those things are tied up in sexuality, like what that means. Uh, I really loved the story because of that. Thank you. I feel like I don't need to talk about it because you... <laughs> well, I got, you know, I mean... <laughs> totally nailed it, so... <laughs> Did I gather that you grew up Catholic? Oh, yeah. So yeah, is man. that why you included that part about the transubstantiation in your story? Oh, totally. <laughs> the whole Travis thing really happened when I was a oh child. <laughs> His name was Travis. I didn't change it, so... Hi, Travis. What's up, Travis? Travis used to leave these little answering machine messages on my home phone and my mom had to call his dad and give him a talking to (laughs) wait what were the messages he used to like change my last name to other things and just say my name over and over again i guess it was flirting or something like jessica fart (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah like that over and over again (laughs) jessica fart jessica fart (laughs) Jessica, like he was class clown and he was like eight. Very charming, that one. Definitely got into a lot of trouble. I definitely wanted to write the story to, uh, we'll tackle all the things Caleb was talking about, but also, um, you know, to bring this window into this man who's uh, struggling with his faith and his sexuality and who like genuinely falls in love with this person and knows it's wrong, but he can't help himself. So he's navigating Mm -hmm. through that. And all of this happens through his like sabbatical year as a priest, which is something that happens that isn't talked about in canon or anything, but it's... The Amish call it the wilding. The wilding? Yeah. Oh, wow. So before... So Amish people, 
um, uh, in their communities, there's a, you know, you don't, you don't like become baptized into an Amish church as a baby. You choose to um, as a young adult. Oh, wow. And there, there's a period called the, I think it's called the wilding. The ones in Pennsylvania speak Pennsylvania Dutch, which is like this like micro language, but it's a word that basically means wilding. And what it is is the young people when they cut, when they become like teenagers, they have a year off of being Amish. Like they can. Whoa, Matt, did you explode? God just struck the coffee mug and the coffee mug spilleth. Go, go, keep going. <laughs> We're cursed. I hope there isn't water um, over the over the flying faders. Wait, we got to clean up the the spilled uh, wine. This is spilled. Yeah, of God. That you the know spilled what? Wine of coffee bean. Okay, transubstantiation is something that always got me. That I would bring up to my mother, who's a devout Catholic. Love her. She, you know, that's that's her thing. Um, where I had quizzed her once I found out. I was like, okay, you have to believe during Mass that the wine and the bread are turning into the body and blood of Christ. Literally. It's not like a metaphor yeah. or a figurative statement. Like yeah. Catholics actually believe in this kind of like, I don't know, yeah. vampiric cannibalism, whatever. <laughs> this is like no, a real it's thing. One of the it's one of the main points of difference between Protestants and Catholics. Right. Um, that Protestants believe that it's a symbol. Yeah. Um, that the that the wine is just a symbol, and you're doing this thing symbolically. And Catholics believe that the priest performs an act of magic, and the wine actually turns into blood, and the crackers actually turn into Jesus's flesh, which is weird, especially because Jesus was not a cracker. Yeah, he wasn't, as we all know. So we should have picked a different food. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about the things that priests struggle with. Do they ever struggle with the idea that they're literally eating the body and blood of something and that they put their hands over something and it literally changes? Because you have to believe literally. Yes. It's interesting how it ties into this story, too, because if that's what you literally believe, then you also, A, you believe that you're performing... Um, a ritual that is causing this to happen. Well, you're the vessel so you're, through which he works so through you, right? That's... So you're kind of a wizard. And then <laughs> the second part, though, is that there's a there's something very like it's one thing to say, okay, so we're drinking this wine and we're it's like symbolic of blood. It's quite another thing to be like, I'm lifting this cup up to my mouth and I'm drinking blood. Yeah. yeah. And when you make your first communion, you're too young to to grasp about literally becoming body and blood. I think right. as a as a little kid, you believe that it's probably a symbolic thing. Yeah, you dress up in these fun outfits and you get married to God and then you have wine for the first time in a cracker and then you sit down and everybody, you know, feels happy with you. And it's what Father Kevin says. I think most people are just like, my parents told me to do this thing and then there's this story and I guess it's blood, but it's not really blood. Yeah, obviously. it's not really blood. Right. But I think like that's a seminary thing more than anything else where priests sort of start to practice this idea that transubstantiation is happening you know that you have to get used to the idea that you that that is something that is actually occurring i think there's also a lot of priests who don't really believe that i i don't know i mean no, they I, have I, to i want to i they want to believe they have to say they believe they have to say they have to say they believe it right but there are lots of priests that are priests just because 
you know, that was a pathway open to them. Yeah, but I don't think they could ever admit that. They would immediately get their priesthood taken away. If they're Catholic, if they're Anglican or something else. Every Marine fighting, you know, on foreign soil doesn't necessarily believe in the cause they're fighting for. They're a Marine, so they're doing their job. So I'm just saying... I'm not convinced that all priests believe that at their core. Catholics are like special ops or they're like, you know, highly decorated men with buzz cuts. I feel like you really commit. You're in. I went to all I went to all boys Catholic school. Yeah. First there was a priest who was the headmaster who was creepy. Go figure. He was Father Reap, and you can imagine the jokes that we all made. Jeez. Then there was a chaplain who was actually, like, really, really great. And he was a very, uh, very liberal priest. And I would take that to mean also a very liberal Catholic. And I would probably bet money that he doesn't actually believe that that wine turns into blood. Yeah, I don't know, man. It depends, I just man. Like, I'm just saying there are lots of there are lots of yeah. reasons that people become priests, and not all of those reasons are that you believe so profoundly in serving God and in like Catholicism's role in that. That you know, like there's yeah. lots of social reasons. That was the first beat of the yeah. monologue. I was thinking about how he grew up, what kind of person he was, how he fit into his family. Right. You know, because a lot of people choose for you. I yeah. mean, in Italian culture, which is half of my culture, Definitely. there's always discussion of, okay, which son is the priest? Which half, Jess? <laughs> my mom. My mom's side. <laughs> the side that counts. What I love is that this thing happens and this priest goes through this he has a moment where he's able to express himself and and like express his desires openly and experience this thing but that experience actually strengthens his faith and his yeah. desire to like serve as a priest and i just love that it's not it's not like oh there's a priest and he's secretly gay and he finally is able to act on those impulses and then he leaves the church because the church is this or that and like, you know, I should have never been a priest. It's like not that at all. It's actually the opposite. It reaffirms his faith. Yeah, he finds something to believe in. I love that those beliefs, including his belief in trans transubstantiation, like those beliefs actually enrich those desires. Yeah. Which I find really interesting, but also probably like, at least in, in this story, like very true. Like if you're the kind of person who who believes that you turn wine into blood, then you kind of have to be the kind of person that is going to like give in to the more powerful forces in your psyche. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. The subconscious things or uh, the open doors. You're like kind of looking through a keyhole because you've been denied it. But you're also, I feel like people like that let in um, fantasies easier, I guess, perhaps. I don't know if I can stand behind that claim Maybe. or not. But you're saying that, you know, this person was brought into my life for a reason. We have this connection. You're believing in the intangible and mm. making room for things you don't completely understand. But maybe also like, also like separating experiences, like... The way he talks about this experience is, is a it's a story, 
You know what I mean? Right, right. And it's like a chapter I in Luke that, or like, yeah, he, Job. Exactly. So, so it's not, it's something he learns from. It's something he goes through and learns from. And his it scourge. Enriches or, his, yeah. It enriches his faith. So in a way, he like lives out this biblical story. Is that any different than when you step out on your marriage and then by the grace of, you know, your partner, they forgive you and let you back in and then you say my marriage is now better than ever and um I don't know. Maybe you could certainly make that case. I mean, I think you would have to also and this is a generality, but I think that a marriage isn't like an all-encompassing It's not a uh, fixed point. There's not like one concept of a marriage. It's the same kind of vow. Right. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's like the priests uh are married to to the church. Right. Right. You know, in, in the same, you know, and actually the sacrament of marriage is very similar to... The priesthood, joining the, the priesthood. Yeah. Or becoming a nun. Correct. That's yeah. why I brought yeah. it up. Like nuns, nuns actually have a, have a wedding. Right. Basically, when they become a nun and they get married to Jesus. Jesus is a polygamist. Right. <laughs> we can all be one with Jesus. Father Kevin is talking about how Richard, Ricardo, Richard, transfers to another seminary and how he decides to drop out. So there, there are different ways of dealing with the truth being revealed also. Because mm-hmm. I feel like this is something that happens often in the Catholic faith too, that when someone transgresses or you know makes a mistake, that um, they have to leave the parish they're in or they have to rectify with it head on. And if people accept them again, then they can be accepted back into the faith. Or like what Matt was saying, that you're taken back by God, or you're like you're similar to being taken back by your partner in a marriage, um, or what uh, Kevin does, where he decides, you know what, I have other duties, and I can't, I can't separate the fact that I'm a man of God, but I'm also gay, yeah, and I want the things that I want, and I'm a sexual being. He's had this moment of what is that, where you testify, or you have this realization that you've become the person you know yourself to truly be. It's complicated. I mean, there's a lot of sex that goes on in seminaries and in in the priesthood in general. Right. Um, And I think that, like, people just don't talk about it. Oh, we talked about this. Repression, breeding deviance. Yeah. Which, yeah. Yeah. Which happens, too. And then the church takes great leaps to cover that stuff up. And, of course, over the past 20 years, like, those that's been the, revealed the, those cover-ups have kind of been started to be exploded i feel like this is not that story this come i think this is uh, something different that story has been told i wasn't interested in that he's not a priest anymore i guess right but that doesn't mean he's not a man of faith anymore in fact it seems like he he said i mean the last line is that he believes with conviction now more than ever and I guess it's what we were talking about before, that finally being able to connect with his desires as a human being, being able to connect with, uh, you know, the the repressed parts of his psyche have actually made him a stronger believer in God. Yeah. Which I find very interesting, but also very, like, human, too. Yeah, I wanted that dynamism to exist, where he could still be a man of God and and have these desires and... Because the ideal he's worshiping is impossible. It's this God that at the beginning he explains has no obligation or desire. 
So like any God, he's yeah. like without from outside the human experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so this man, this priest has is living within the human experience and figuring out how to navigate his faith with his, you know, as they called earthly desires. There's something about, uh, is it Saul who gets blinded by the light and then becomes, gets literally blind, blinded by God's light and then becomes Paul. Yeah. There's a, there's almost like a saintly, uh, aspect to like a saintly experience. I think embedded in the story a little bit. Like he goes through this, this experience as if he's just like giving himself to sort of the spiritual power that is driving him. And I think there's something really interesting about when he talks about wanting people in the society, in the culture, to see him as human and they like just as a regular person and they don't. He like lets himself become a, a human being for once and then that's what makes him feel closer to God. I think that's a really interesting turn. Thank you. Yeah. He cheated on Jesus. Yeah. Well, don't we all? <laughs> who, who are the swingaroos? So they're a swing group from Sarasota, and they have really professional recordings. Their performances seem amazing. And they, had, uh, they have a cover. They have My Man, which is the first song, I believe. Um, I kind of wanted to fake out that it was about... Ricardo when it was kind of about God or I wanted to be this dual pronged thing where it's like who is he devoted to it's his man um dual pronged like the devil's <laughs> tail yes <laughs> <laughs> yes that's that's it how did you um, get hooked up with the swingaroos um I I searched for them I was looking up a swing or cabaret group that was local and they were just awesome I mean I immediately responded to their music online and like their arrangements are gorgeous and they do things their way so yeah shout out to the swingaroos they're cool with it or is this one isn't off the record like the other one? Oh no they know and they want us to shout them out yeah oh good yeah oh, oh god are they gonna listen to this i mean we're we gonna get another <laughs> cease and desist uh like from Night wait Rain? we've gotten one <laughs> night rain have no oh okay okay i swear no one has emailed us yet have you checked the email of- night night rain was like we're not sure if the music you're using is our music but <laughs> will you check to see if it is and if it is will you respond to this letter please just stop by stop using it we, we haven't stopped touring but once we do we're gonna find you and we're gonna stop you immediately we haven't stopped touring middle florida <laughs> Signed Schlaxel Rose. See you at the Schlaxel Flicker Light Road. on Sunday. <laughs> See you at Flanagan's on Coral Way. See you at Hotcakes Coffee Lounge. See you at Wings. Next weekend. Wings with three Z's. Make sure you get the Louisiana style. See you at the Port St. Lucie Flanagan's. Port St. Lucie. On the back deck. <laughs> we'll get Wayne Hogan's. I love Flanagan's. Can I just say I love it? Love it. New sponsor. I loved you Time and again I would try to say All I'd want you to know If I loved you Words wouldn't come in an easy way Round in 
Leave me. 